Hi. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's a good day to be here because you get to hear somebody you don't normally get to hear. That's a good thing. And uh, I think it's a good thing for me, too. Nothing against Lloyd and all, but uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. So I'm going to introduce Jason. He's from Louisiana. At least that's where he's supposed to be from. And uh, he drove a nice van today, and I heard. And uh, so we get it from Jason. They do know Jesus in, in Louisiana, too, just so you know. And we're going to figure that out, I guess, see what they're like. He doesn't even speak with that much of a drawl, or he doesn't throw crawfish at you, so that's good. I might talk about jambalaya or something, I don't know. So, Jason, it's all you, man. Well, y'all, it's good to be here with you. And, uh, yeah, you're right, I don't have a whole lot of a drawl. Partially because I grew up in the Midwest, and uh, when I moved to Minnesota, I talked like a Minnesotan really quick. But uh, when I moved to Louise, I could never pick that up. I think you have to be French or something, I, I don't know. But uh, I, I can do it, but it's all fake, and I won't, put, I won't subject you guys to that. So, indeed, uh, indeed, I am here today from Louisiana, and I am in a great van. Um, that's the thing about youth ministry. They don't tell you about that, but they, uh, they, they paint this beautiful picture of youth ministry. They don't tell you the, the, the new vehicle they're going to get you is a, is a Ford 15-passenger van. But, uh, but uh, yeah, so... Uh, we brought that and a whole bunch of kids up uh, to uh, a, a youth weekend in Colorado and that I've come to since I was a kid and over in, uh, in uh, the Sedalia area. So uh, we're excited to be there. And, and for Louisiana kids, this is like almost heaven. I know you guys think this is, uh, this is normal, but uh, mountains, the biggest mountain that we have in Louisiana, I'm not lying to you guys, the tallest, the tallest thing in a seven-parish area from where we live is the local trash pile, all right? I, I'm, I'm sorry. I hope this isn't on the Internet. They're going to hate me for that. We call it Mount Egan, um, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's for real. Um, uh, Stephen can tell you he's from uh, that part of Louisiana. It is flat down there. Some of the best people in the world, some of the greatest food in the world, which makes it tough to stay thin and healthy. Thus, uh, the most heart hospitals per capita of any place in the United States, I think, too. Um, but uh, everything has its trade-off. So I'm super excited to be here with you guys. I always appreciate uh, Lloyd and Gary and, and your, your invitation for me to come and just share with you guys. Um, it's, a, it's a privilege to just get to hook up with some old friends and say hi again. And it's a privilege to share the Word of God with you folks that are, that are reaching the lost here in Colorado. And, and uh, every year that we come, life is so much different, isn't it? The kids get a little bit older. Um, we get a little bit older. Uh, and the world that we live in is changing, isn't it? How many of you, uh, I, when I first met Gary and Arla, I'll tell you a little history that we have together. That was a long time ago. We don't want to even go there, but it was probably 25 years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, at a youth camp uh, in Iowa, and Gary and Arla were bringing a couple van loads of kids out for that event. And a lot of those guys are still uh, part of the church and working for the Lord. And, uh, and, uh, the world 25 years ago and the world that we live in today is radically different. There's just a lot of things that are changing and changing at a really rapid pace. And for us as Christians, it can be kind of an unsettling time, a kind of a nerve-wracking time, a time of wondering what's the next 25 years going to look like? If so much has changed in the last 25 years, what could the next 25 years look like? And you know what? Even though I'm from Louisiana, I don't have any answers for you on that, all right? Um, <laughs> Uh, I can tell you that we live in one of the places in the United States where per capita more people go to church than almost any other place in the United States. But I can tell you that the darkness of this world is as dark there as it is anywhere. 
And people are, are desperately looking for an answer to life. And they're not finding that in a lot of the things that they're pursuing. They're, they're looking for it and they're chasing it in their, in their careers and their hobbies and their activities and their lifestyle choices. And all those things end up coming up empty. And those of us gathered here today, we, 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 we know or at least are considering that Jesus Christ is the answer and the way to live life. So I just want to share with you guys a basic sermon this morning that comes from a basic text from a book of the Bible that I know you've probably studied through and read through many of you a dozen times. But one of the books of the Bible that's just inspirational to me, and that's from the book of Acts. If, if you have a Bible this morning and you want to flip with me, we're going to be in Acts, the fourth chapter. And Acts um, is kind of a, one of those books that's divided up really in, in three sections um, because you, you have the first part of the book of Acts where it's all about the mission that's reiterated from the Gospels where Jesus tells the church, I want you to go into all the world. And I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to baptize people. I want you to teach them everything that I've commanded you. And yes, I'll be with you in this endeavor. And the first part of the book of Acts is that, that process of expansion. And we love those chapters in Acts 2 and Acts 3 where you see just a ton of people being converted and a lot of lives being changed. And, and uh, I love to read that text um, because it's, it's encouraging to me to watch as Peter preaches a message and, and, and 3,000 people immediately say, you know what? We want to, make a, want to make a difference for the Lord. And then you've got Acts 3. And Acts 3 is one of those great uh, stories for me anyway as well. Because here in Acts 3, you've got Peter and John. They're going into the temple um, as they normally did. They're there to teach and to share with the people. And uh, they're, they're doing what they can to let people know the Messiah that the entirety of the Old Testament is talking about. That Messiah is coming. And so uh, they, they're going to the temple and they're teaching and they pass a guy that undoubtedly they've passed for year after year after year. A man that's there at that gate that is begging. From what we understand in history, this team, team uh, seems to be the way that people that had disabilities in that particular time provided for themselves. They would go to the house of worship in the outer courts of the temple and they would, they would pray for the mercy of people coming in, hoping that people coming to church or leaving church would have a soft spot for them and they would put a few coins in their cup. And by that method, they could... They could survive, and they could provide for their least basic needs. And so we meet this guy. They're going up to the temple, and this is in, in Acts 3, if you just want to flip back with me. And, um, and it, they went to the gate called Beautiful, in verse number 3, seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, he asked to receive alms. He probably said something to the effect of alms for the poor, give to the needy. And, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and they said to him, look at us. And I really appreciated the communion meditation this morning. That's very, very, very thoughtful. Thank you, sir. Um, and I appreciate the fact that, that one of the things that we see throughout Scripture and one of the things that we see in the life of Jesus is this ability to find and to look at the people that no one else sees and no one else is looking at and to elevate those people. And here's, here's a perfect situation of this happening. These 12 men, now 11, that had walked and lived and, and served with Jesus... These 11 guys were going out and they were reproducing that lifestyle that they had learned from Christ. They were literally becoming the disciples of Christ and discipling others. And so here they come across this man who has this debilitating disease, begging for, poor, for alms for the poor. And we, we just understand a little bit from history that apparently the correct posture for this man to do this was to raise a cup above his head and to bow his head in shame. As though, as though there was something wrong that he was born in such a way as he was born. And I love what Peter says here in just this little word. He says, look at us. 
In other words, he said, don't you look down anymore. I want you to focus on us. Now, he had something important to say, but he could have done that without directing that man's attention towards him. But he said, look at us. And when he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them, because probably that's the only people that asked him to look, were the people that were going into the temple and wanted somebody or a group of people to notice how benevolent they were and how sharing and giving they were. And then he heard the words that he didn't want to hear. And Peter said, I have no gold, I have no silver. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And I love Luke's attention to detail. Because it says, and he reached down and took him by the right hand. He even, he even shared which hand he took him by. Took him by the right hand and he immediately, uh, his feet and his ankles were made strong. And he leapt up and he stood and he began, to, he began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. What an awesome story. Here's a guy that for his entire life has been in a, in a condition of some type of paralysis of the legs and his entire life has had to beg and has to ask others to bring him and to take him and for the very sustenance for his life. And in a moment, through the power of God, his life is restored to him. This is a beautiful story for the followers of the way. Christians, the early Christians. This is, this is, this is an awesome thing because not only does this guy get up and walk, this guy is a guy that everybody knows. Sometimes today people say, oh, there's a miracle here, or there's a miracle there, and, and, and it's not typically this kind of miracle. And I tell people, I'll believe a miracle when it looks like it does in the book of Acts. Now, I know that God heals people today, and you do as well. But this is an extraordinary circumstance where, in a moment, a man reaches down and picks up a man known by everyone probably in Jerusalem to have been lame from birth. And then this guy walks into the temple, not only walks into the temple, but he's leaping in the temple. Now you guys know, there's no faster way, you've learned this if you grew up in church, there's no faster way to get in trouble than to run around and leap in church, right? That's right, that is the abomination that brings desolation right there. At least it did to me as a kid. Um, boy, I got, I got warmed up for that. And, uh, and so um, here this guy doesn't know the rules, you know. I mean, he's never probably been in church. I don't know. Um, so he's in church, and he's so excited, so passionate, which who can blame him, that he is just jumping and leaping in church. Well, this causes all kind of trouble. Because the Jewish people, are, the leaders of the Jewish people at this point are trying to say, Jesus is a fraud. Jesus was a fake. Jesus didn't raise from the dead. They're paying people off. They're spinning the story. It's a political situation just like we see today. And in a moment, God steps around the political roadblock and puts up a billboard that no one can refute. Because these are two common guys that have done something uncommon. Now, in Acts, the fourth chapter, we find maybe the most teachable material. That's the funnest of the material. But in Acts, the fourth chapter, the rulers of the people begin to call one by one people in. They call the man in. They said, hey, how'd this happen? <laughs> he tells them. They call the man's parents in. And his man's parents are nervous because they're about to maybe get expelled or, or, or pushed out. And so they call Peter and John in. And they have a conversation with them. And John, in Acts the fourth chapter, and we'll pick up in verse number eight. Peter then is permitted to give a rebuttal. And it says this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man... By what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this man is standing before you well. 
Verse number 11. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name among men or given among men by which we must be saved. Now Peter, <coughs> Peter gets up and says a mouthful here. What I, I like about this part of the story is, is that we see that there's been a transformation in the life of Peter. A few months before this, a, a, a lowly servant girl comes up and he says to Peter in a critical moment, Peter, weren't you one of his disciples? And Peter said, no, no, I don't know anything about him. A little bit later in the, in the firelight, she says, you, you look like a lot like one of the followers. I don't know Jesus. Finally, your, your, your speech deceives you. And he swears with an oath that he's never known Jesus after spending possibly three years of his life walking, living, sleeping, and doing every moment with this man. That same Peter has been transformed. And we see here in the very, very beginning the cause of the transformation. When Peter preaches the first gospel message, he, he says, when asked, what shall we do to be saved? You remember this. I know you guys know this well. He said, repent and be baptized every one of you for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit, that gift of God indwelling and living in our life changes us. And here it says that Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter changed, transformed, renewed, completely new person because of the Holy Spirit. Before, Peter normally would have run, ducked, hid, avoided the questioning. But in this moment, he steps forward and he said, you want to know how this man's healed? You want to know why this good thing happened? Here's why. Because of Jesus. And then, he doesn't just stop there. He goes to remind them of their responsibility. He quotes to them from an Old Testament passage that says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone or the capstone. The, the one that you all looked at and said, that cannot be the Messiah, indeed is the Messiah. And then he finishes with a confrontational statement, then and now. In fact, if you and I were to, to hold this statement up to a vast majority of the people that we share life with, a lot of people would take exception with this statement. And yet, brothers and sisters, if we understand Christianity, one thing about Christianity is that Jesus, not us, but Jesus himself was very exclusive about Christianity. He said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The words of Jesus. And, and Peter echoes that in some sense here in, in Acts the fourth chapter in verse 12 when he says, Now, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's no other name. There's no other person. There's no other cause. There's no other mechanism that we can that we can get rid of sin and to change our entire lives except through the name of Jesus Christ. And then it says in verse 13 these words. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. They were surprised. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, if there's nothing else that people ever recognize about you, if you live your entire life in obscurity, if you blend in in every other way except that the people that are a part of your life recognize that you have been with Jesus, that your life has been, cha been, been transformed and changed by His working and His power in your life, you have been successful in this life. But if you're a household name, 
If everyone knows everything about you, if you accomplish things that today you might never imagine, but people don't realize that you are part of Christ and have been transformed and changed by Christ, you have failed in your ultimate responsibility. In this moment, in so many ways, the whole mission of Peter and John was validated. As they looked at Peter and John and they realized these guys are bold, these guys are well-spoken, they shouldn't be able to do this. Except they were with Jesus. In that moment, their lives shone a bright light on who Christ truly was. In fact, they did, in that moment, give Christ glory. They didn't go out and seek to do that. They just lived their lives in such a way that it had transforming effect on the people whom they came in contact with. So let's, let's tear this apart in the time that we have this morning quickly. Because I think there's a few things here that I want us just to pull out of this text that maybe you can take home with you and you can put in, 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 into place in your life. Because we live in a time today where a lot of Christian people seem to me to be functioning out of a lot of fear and a lot of concern. And I, I agree that there's cause and reason maybe for concern. But, but I want you to realize this morning that the opposite of boldness is fear. It says that when they saw the boldness of Peter and John... Now, we're going to talk a little bit about what boldness is and what boldness isn't this morning. But I believe that, that one of the things that we need to realize is that the church today needs people who are bold. Voices that are strong and unwavering. You see, fear is, is the opposite of everything that Jesus brought and sought for us to have in life. In fact, fear in so many ways comes from death. In Romans, the sixth chapter, verse 23, Paul reminds us in his in his great writing. I love the book of Romans. He says, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We know that part. But he reminds us that the wages of breaking God's law is death. And we see this throughout the entirety of scripture. Back up to Genesis, the first, second, and third chapters. God creates the world. God creates people. God gives them one directive. He said, don't eat of the fruit of the tree. And what do they do? Oh no. They ate of the fruit, right? Thank you. Good. They ate of the fruit of the tree, right? And in that moment, all kinds of things happen. Because on that moment, they realized, A, we're naked. B, we are not right with God. We've got to hide. When God comes down to have his nighttime chat, which how cool is that, incidentally? How neat would that be if God, the creator of the universe, just came down and had a little evening chat every night? That's the way God wanted things to be. That's the way God plans for things to be someday. When this life is over and we're together with him forever and eternity. But in that moment, God comes down and he doesn't find Adam and Eve. Because all of a sudden they're experiencing a brand new emotion. The emotion of fear. Things aren't right. We have sin in our life. And, and throughout, the, the, throughout the scripture, you see this over and over again. There's this one thing that the Bible says. And Jesus told Adam and Eve, and, and Paul rather reiterates it in Romans 6. Sin kills. Why is God so against sin? Because sin kills people. That's the point. It, it, it kills our boldness as Christians or as non-believers. It kills our boldness. It kills our confidence. It kills our assurance. I'll just quit preaching for a second and go to meddling. You guys will let me do that because I'm leaving a little bit. Then you can hate me. All right. One of the reasons why I think a lot of Christian people, and this may be just in my part of the country, you guys will judge this for yourselves. But I know in my own personal life and in the people that I work with, one of the ring things that is the quickest to destroy our confidence and our boldness in Christ is the fact that we know we have unrepented and unconfessed sin as a part of our life. And we know that every day that we're walking 
with God on the outside, we may not be walking with God on the inside and in our heart. You see, we destroy our confidence in prayer. It destroys our confidence in God. It destroys our confidence in ourselves. Sin will rob us of our peace. Sin will rob us of our joy. God doesn't tell us to avoid sin because He wants us to have miserable and empty lives. Jesus said, no, I want you to have truth because the truth will set you free. Some of us here today have have lived a life uh, of sin before we came to the Lord. And we can attest to the fact that, that living for ourselves and living for the causes that are out there, that so many people think and embrace and, and celebrate, those causes are the things that just, that just pull us down and dry us up and destroy us from the inside out. David said it this way. He said, I, I, I was just dying on the inside. I, I, was, I was suffocating. I was smothering. I was dying because my relationship with God was broken. However, we see Peter and John in the New Testament church as a, as a whole, they exhibit four basic characteristics that provide us with confidence as it provided them with confidence. The first one is this. The foundation of boldness is being right. The foundation of boldness is righteousness. And righteousness is a church word, but really it simply just means being right with God, having taken care of business with God, living in a way that God approves of what we're doing and how we're living our lives. In Acts, the fourth chapter, um, verses 19 and 20, you notice here, it says that Peter and John answered them, whether or not it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must be the judge. And they were recognizing that, that everyone around us is going to have an opinion about how we live our lives. And you know what? That's their right to have an opinion about that. All right? But Peter and John said, this is the deal. We're going to choose to do what we know is right. In verse number 20, for we cannot... But speak of that which we've seen and we've heard. We know. We know what we've experienced with Jesus Christ. We know the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. We've watched and seen as God has worked and transformed and changed changed people's lives. So you can tell us to be quiet. You can tell us it's a fraud. You can tell us what you want. But we know what's, what's right. And when you know what's right, there's just a certain confidence Not arrogance, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But a certain confidence, it just begins to build behind you. Book of Proverbs, 14th chapter, verse 34. Solomon writes, he says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. When we live for the Lord, it just naturally builds us up as a people. When we have sin, whether it's open, flagrant sin or hidden, unconfessed sin in our life, it has a way of of drying us up and destroying us. Our, our confidence and our boldness for God. Solomon took an experiment in his life, or did an experiment in his life, an experiment that I would not suggest that you follow, but an experiment in which he tried to find meaning and purpose in life apart from God. And I guess a lot of us have probably joined Solomon in this experiment. Um, a lot of people in the world today are joining Solomon in this experiment. Solomon had the means and the power and the position to try most everything, and it appears that he did. But he concludes the book of Ecclesiastes, which is his kind of case notes on this period of his life, in the 12th chapter, in verse 13, and he says this. He says, Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is a whole duty of man. As he summarized everything up, he said, Here's your job, people. Here's my job. And he didn't do this. He didn't choose to follow his own wisdom. But he said, Here's the job for all of us. 
to fear God and to keep His commandments. This is a whole duty of men. And we know that when we talk about fear there, there's not the kind of fear where we're quaking and afraid because we talked about the amazing grace that God offers us. God doesn't want us to live in a, in a fearful situation as we see Adam and Eve and other people living in. But when the Bible references fear in this manner, it's talking about having a healthy respect of God. All of us, in fact, in our homes, we, we all have electricity, right? I'm assuming you guys have electricity. I know you do. And yet most of us, uh, we use it every day. It's a part of our lives. We are, uh, if you don't have it, once in a while we have hurricanes and we go for a few weeks without any electricity and that is miserable, all right? Um, most of us have generators because we just are addicted to it. You got to have that, right? Um, but we also have a healthy respect of electricity. You don't just take the cover off the panel and say, hey kids, why don't you dig around in here for a good time, right? <laughs> I mean, it would be exciting. It would be really thrilling. But the consequences are grave. And, and Solomon says, you know what? Fear God. Have a healthy respect of God. Do what he says. This is the duty of man. And Solomon recognized that when we follow God, then we find the true fulfillment and purpose and meaning for our lives that God's called us to have. The second thing we see the New Testament church do, they're not only people that are, that are building the boldness that they, they've approached with out of righteousness, but they also have confidence but not arrogance. So let it be known to all of you and to the people of Israel, but the name, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. In every moment that Peter had an opportunity standing before these men, he was constantly pointing and giving glory to Jesus Christ. He wasn't, he wasn't inflating his own ego. He wasn't attempting to overplay his own hand. He wasn't saying, you know what? I'm Peter and I got some serious abilities. He did. He, he could have done probably some pretty marvelous things in that assembly. But he chose to take the low-key approach and say, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He returned honor and glory to him. And that's the difference between confidence and arrogance. To summarize it quickly this morning, confidence comes from knowing whom we have a relationship with. Arrogance makes it think that we can do it on our own. Bold Christians are the kind of people who are can-do people. They don't look at a situation and say, it's, it's impossible, it's empty. They're, they're, they're not looking for reasons why things can't get done, but why reason for, for uh, ways to get things done. But they're not people that say, I'm going to do it on my own. We're so talented, or I'm so full of ability, or we have so much money that we can just make this happen. Sometimes you'll hear Christian people say those words. Maybe sometimes some of those thoughts have even come to your mind, because I know they have to mine. Well, I can handle this. I can do this. Those are some of the most dangerous thoughts that ever cross your mind. It's with the help of the Lord that we're able to gain the victory. It's through His power and His working in our life that we accomplish the plan and the purpose that he has put us here for. <laughs> One of my favorite Old Testament Bible characters is a guy named Caleb. And I'm not going to tell you the whole story of Caleb. Probably most of you know it. But Caleb is just a remarkable guy. At 80 years old, he finally receives his inheritance. His inheritance is a country, a portion of the promised land that's filled with the giants. All right, The biggest people the biggest cities, it is the most difficult area to conquer. <laughs> and I love this. In Numbers, the 14th chapter, in verse 24, 
God says, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went into and his descendants will inherit it. And this is God talking at the point in time when many others uh, had chosen to not believe in God and to say, you know what? It's too big. The giants are too strong. The cities are too well fortified. Joshua and Caleb had stood and said, no, with God's help, we can do it. And it was those two men that would actually lead God's people on the conquest of the promised land. Joshua, in Joshua, the first chapter, verses eight and nine, Joshua says this, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged for the Lord, your God will be with you wherever you go. Those words are as true today as they were when they were spoken thousands and thousands of years ago. They're true because Jesus said that to us in the Great Commission. And lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'll be with you until the very end, to the bitter end, whatever that might be. For some of the people in the New Testament church, that bitter end was persecution at a stake or standing to face giant beasts in the Colosseum. For us, maybe it will be something completely different. But no matter what the scenario is, God said, hey, listen to me. I will be with you. I will be walking with you. I'll be by your side. I've got your back. Guys, I don't know about you, but there's no one in the world that would rather have my back than the one who created it. There's not anybody in the world that I would rather be watching for me and helping me and giving me assistance than the one who could speak to the winds and waves and they would be stilled. The one who faced death and came back victorious. <laughs> See, we have confidence in Jesus Christ, but not arrogance in our own abilities. Paul writes this to Timothy in kind of his swan song is 2 Timothy, the final writing, we believe, of the Apostle Paul. And he says this to Timothy. Starts out in the very beginning of the, of the letter. And he says, for this reason, verse number 6, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. We could do a whole sermon this morning. I won't, I promise. All right. We could do a whole sermon this morning on those last three things. But God wants his people to be characterized by three things in their spirit. And the first one in that list is power. Is realizing that we come with a noble cause. Not to back down, not to be cowardly, but to boldly say, Jesus Christ is the answer that our world needs. The answers that the Bible provides are the answers that will transform people's lives, not only in the past, but also today. And the last thing is, the New Testament church relied on, on uh, they had reliance rather than resources. They were dependent on God rather than dependent on the own things that they had. And, and you notice this, it says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they were perceived that they were uneducated and common men. The reality, y'all... These two guys were the last two guys in the world that should have been doing this right here. These two guys were completely uneducated, unprepared, and unequipped to do what God had called them to do. They were workers, laborers, fishermen. And, and, and as these men spoke, the men to whom they spoke recognized that. They're like, these guys, these guys are in way over their heads. They're, they're, they bought off way more than they can chew. They're in way over their pay grade. But... They recognized that they had been with Jesus. The last part of Acts 4, verse number 29, 
is a beautiful section that summarizes this story. In so many ways, this particular story closes the, the beginning portion of the church, that mission portion of the church, and it begins to usher in another era in the church, an era of persecution. Chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira will come and God will insist that the church be pure. And in chapter 6, we start to see Stephen and the persecution of the church begin to warm up and people's lives being taken because of their belief. But here's what they prayed in Acts, the fourth chapter, verse 29. It says, Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And these threats were real. These very men have been the ones that orchestrated the crucifixion of Jesus. These guys knew that if they got on their blacklist, they would be destroyed, possibly. They said, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed... The place where they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I think that God shook the place that day to remind them that He was the one that holds everything together. He shook the place that day to remind them that I'm really God. And these guys that are puppets of political power, these men that are spouting out different things, they, yes, they might have the ability to harass you. They may even have the ability to take your life. In fact, they will take one of the apostles' life, James' life, James' life in not too distant future. But they're not the ones that are truly in control of things. I am. I love C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia. How many of you guys are, you guys like, I know there's a few Narnia fans in here. All right. I love it. And, and I love this one particular line in the book Prince Caspian. And if you guys have read this, you know this. But um, a child named Lucy, that's kind of one of the, the heroes of the story. And she, she greets Aslan. And Aslan's the lion that's kind of the metaphor, the type for Christ in C.S. Lewis's writings. And he was trying to present to children an allegory so they could understand God and, and, and how God wants to work with us and God's plan of salvation. And it's pretty brilliant in many ways. And this is a conversation that the two of them have. Because she comes and she, Lucy says, Aslan, you're, you're bigger. <laughs> and he said, that's because you're, you're older, little one. He answered her. Not because you are, Lucy answers back. I'm not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Every risk that we take, every moment that we step forward, and boldly proclaim Jesus Christ. Every opportunity that we could back away from, but we say, you know what? No, I'm going to share this. I'm going to step out of my comfort zone, out of the box that I've created for myself where everything's normal and easy and ordinary. Well, I'm going to step out of that and I'm going to take a risk in the name, for the name of Jesus, not for myself, remember that, but for the cause of Christ. Every moment we do that, God becomes a little bit bigger to us. His presence becomes better known to us. Sometimes I'm asked to say, go different places. Why is it that God isn't as powerful and as strong today in the world? And, 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 and you know what? My, my initial response is a little bit of sadness because God is as powerful and strong today as He ever has been. I, I really believe that. I think the reason why we don't realize that is that for so many of us, we never, we never really test that. We never step out of our own talents and abilities. 
We never push out beyond those places that we're comfortable. We never do as Peter did in that moment and boldly step forward and say, you know what? The answer to the problems of this world is found in Jesus Christ. Because I think if we did that, we would find out that God is bigger than we ever imagined. That His grace reaches people farther than we could ever imagine that it would reach. And His power to transform not only their lives, but our lives as well, is truly truly remarkable. You guys have been absolutely awesome this morning. I just thank you for your great attention. Would you mind if I just prayed for you this morning? Would that be okay? Let's just bow together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we stand before you today and Father, we thank you so much for the precious faith that we share. Father, I know that, that we're scattered all around the country and there's brothers and sisters and believers that are that are scattered all throughout the world, that today, God, you're gathering together and they're remembering the gift of, of, the, of, your, of your Son, His blood that covers our sins, His body that was broken for us, the hope that we find through, through our forgiveness of our sins and your Spirit living within us. Father, I know that for many of our, our brothers and sisters in some places in the world, active persecution is a part of their everyday story. And Father, I just pray that today you'll give them the courage and the boldness to step out and continue to be a witness and a light for you in the darkness. Lord, I know for a lot of us in the States these days, we, we just feel that there's increasing pressure of our culture that's pushing back against us and saying, we, we don't want to hear what you have to say. We're not, we're not buying that anymore. And yet, Lord, I, I know and I'm confident that there's so many people that desperately want to see true Christianity and just have never witnessed it. Father, I just pray that you would give us a spirit of boldness and courage that we might be able to step out and with love and concern share with them the truth of Scripture. And that, Father, you would, we would realize that you're right there behind us to hold our hand, to prop us up, to give us strength, and to provide us with the opportunities to do the work that you've commissioned us to do. We thank you for inspiring stories like those we find in the book of Acts. And, Father, I just pray that we might take this, these stories and these narratives and create a narrative for you in the time and the place in which we live. We pray all this in your Son's name. Amen. Thank you, Jason. <clears throat> Truly appreciate it. I, uh,